0: It's Pastor Allen here again for the message for September the 13th, 2020. We've been having a really good time, meaning outside the past four weeks. Uh, when I'm recording this, I don't know yet what the weather's going to be like this Sunday morning. We might be moving inside due to the weather, but we'll see when we get there. And uh, if you haven't been out yet, it'd be wonderful to see you. And uh, if if not for whatever reason, please don't feel pressured. Of course i um, glad you're able to connect this way and of course if you have been joining with us I'm hoping that you're watching uh, these uh, sermons as well which I'm going to be continuing to do for the time being and uh, as we move inside we're going to see how we're going to also remain online, and we'll, we'll deal with that as, as the time comes. Looking forward to starting a Bible study soon, Wednesday evenings, probably. We're looking to start on the 23rd of September. You'll be hearing more about this as we get closer to the time. We'll be asking for people to register, doing this over Zoom. Anyway, you'll, you'll be getting more instructions as we go along. And whether about that or these messages or anything, please feel free to contact me at pastor at allsaintslutheran.ca, I'd love to hear from you, love to receive your questions, and uh, any comments that you might have. Uh, It just, of course, always be great to stay in touch. Well, we're continuing our series on the Gospel of Mark. I've entitled this The Remarkable Gospel because of the amount of reaction we see from so many people in this telling of the story of Jesus, and it's all geared to evoke a reaction from us, as we'll see again uh, in this week's message. The section that we're in uh, is is from chapter 11 through chapter 12. We're beginning chapter 12 this week, and uh, we've seen over the past few few weeks Jesus has now come to Jerusalem. He was was, uh, greeted by a excited crowd shouting messianic uh chants of hoshiana ben david hosanna to the son of david welcoming him into the city and then he comes to the temple and uh, begins to confront the status quo i've entitled uh, this message and this will continue to next week god willing i've entitled this the subversive gospel subversive has to do with the idea of overthrowing a system but not directly uh it's it's not like a, mi- a military attack that's something the technical term of that is belligerent when it's like it's this purposeful aggressive frontal attack there is much that needs to be changed and transformed in the system of jesus day and in the system of our own personal lives and our community lives and the way jesus does it is through his teaching and 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 the way his teaching is subversive is that it plants certain ideas into people's minds and hearts and if you are willing to grasp what he's saying the result is transformative His teaching is effective, but it's effective to those who truly receive what he's saying, which is our hope and prayer as I share these messages. And so in chapters 11 and 12, he arrives to Jerusalem. He comes to the temple. We saw this the story of the cursing of the fig tree and how that's a, a sandwich of the overturning of the 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 cleansing of the temple rather where he overturns the, the the tables of the money changers and kicks out the people selling and buying these sacrificial items uh, in the in the temple court, the, what's called the court of the Gentiles and the way Jesus subverts is is while he overturns those tables, his teaching is actually that which overturns our lives, and it is quite instructive that while people like to focus on Jesus' aggressive, his aggressive actions, and overturning those tables to show that while he is humble and meek, and you know, using a Bible word, um, and how he welcomes children, and he he cares about the, the hurting and the oppressed, but here in the in his confrontation in the temple, he gets really aggressive and physical, but notice it's the only time he ever does that. And so we gotta be careful how much we focus on that action. Actually, he spends most of his time using words, and through the using of his words, he transforms lives and systems and cultures and societies. It's in, it's incredibly powerful and and. and And remarkably powerful how he uses words to transform and even the way he uses the words it's that idea one of the thematic statements of the gospel of mark for him who has ears to hear he he speaks his teaching often in these cryptic stories called parables and it's for it's it's crafted by the lord in such a way that if you're paying attention and if you want to receive the teaching of god in your in your lives it's there for you otherwise it's very easy to dismiss what jesus says and and everything that's true in in the in this gospel of mark is true for us today because This story is presented by Mark, probably the preaching of Peter that Mark wrote down. It was not just to tell us what happened, but it's designed in such a way to speak to us, the original hearers, and all the way to us 2,000 years later. It's designed for us. Are we going to hear what Jesus is really saying? And so the subversiveness of his teaching comes to um, a bit of a head here in chapters 11 and 12. This week we're going to see his, his further challenge to the temple system and the temple leadership. And next time, God willing, we're going to see a subversive message to the Roman oppression and the Roman system of government that was controlling the lives of the Jewish people that day and controlling much of the world at that time and controlling the lives of the hearers of this gospel originally and it and we're going to see how instructed that is for us but we're going to be looking at that part of chapter 12 next week and we're only going to be looking at the first 12 verses of of chapter 12 this week now to get context we're going to be reading from uh, Mark chapter 11 verse 27. Where we're, we'll reread the passage we looked at last week, and we're going to read all the way to verse 17 of chapter 12, which is the sec which will cover the section that we'll be continuing next week. Hope that makes sense. Uh, but uh, here we go. Let's read Mark chapter 11 verses 20 verse 27 through chapter 12 and verse 17 and they came again to jerusalem and as he was walking in the temple the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and they said to him by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you this authority to do them jesus said to them i will ask you one question answer me and i will tell you by, by what authority by what authority i do these things was the baptism of john from heaven or from man answer me and they discussed it with one another saying if we say from heaven he will say why then did you not believe him but if we say from man they were afraid of the people for they all held that john was really a prophet so they answered jesus we do not know and jesus said to them neither will i tell you by what authority i do these things chapter 12 and he began to speak to them in parables He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him, and they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants, and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances but truly teach the way of god is it lawful to pay taxes to caesar or not should we pay them or should we not but knowing their hypocrisy he said to them why put me to the test bring me a denarius and let me look at it and they brought one and he said to them whose likeness and whose inscription is this they said to him caesar's jesus said to them render to caesar the things that are caesar's And to god the things that are god's and they marveled at him let's pray our father we thank you that you have given to us your word and we ask that you would illuminate it by the power of your holy spirit to our hearts and to our minds and give us the grace to live out what you're speaking to us today in jesus name amen all right so let's look at this parable that jesus spoke to the temple leadership and it just before that as we read in the passage and as we looked at last week they came to him challenging his authority um, and he was able to throw it back at them in such a way that they were not able to answer the question that he gave about uh, an author- another authority question whether or not the baptism of john was from from God or from man and their inability to answer that question uh, reflected their uh, the political trap that they were in. And now the, all the people are gathered around and they see this and now Jesus goes on the further offensive by by speaking this parable. Uh, so let's look at verse 12. no sorry, sorry verse one. Uh, the beginning of verse 1 of chapter 12. And it says, and he began to speak to them in parables. And the way this is phrased is while we have this one parable, it's possible that he told more than one. And remember, parables are stories with a point. This particular one sounds more like an allegory because it sounds as if the, the, um, the people in the story represent people in Particular people in real life. But we need to be careful with parables because parables are designed to make a point more than being an allegory where particular aspects of the parable apply to particular aspects and people and situations. So this one is a little bit more allegorical, but it's still a parable. So continuing in verse one, a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. So the picture that Jesus is painting here is a very common familiar scene. By that time in the land of Israel, much of the, the farmland was owned by wealthy landowners, and we call them absentee landowners because they were somewhere else, not living on their property. And then they would lease their land to farmers who would take care of the land for them and the tenants would get to keep some of the produce and they were obliged to give a good portion of the produce back to uh, the landowner and so the whole scene is is quite familiar uh and so we we call these the people taking care of these types of farms and vineyards tenant farmers and uh so it's a very familiar scene what's that part of the subversiveness of this is um has to do with the fact that when he talks about a vineyard, very quickly the hearers, the the temple leaders that were there, as well as the common folks who would be hearing this, they would catch right away that he's telling a story that has to do with Israel. Uh, In several passages in the Hebrew Bible, Isaiah 5, Isaiah 27, Psalm 80, Jeremiah 2, Ezekiel 17, Israel is a vineyard. Uh, is a vine the, the, this sort of picture so israel as a vine a vineyard that's very common they would ca- they would catch that right away interesting he's talking about the people caring the, the the main characters of the parable are the people caring for the vineyard and what they do and who is caring for the vineyard in in this uh, in this context is right away they would be catching that it's the temple leadership you know, other religious-type leaders of the day, like the Pharisees, were not leaders of the people. They were popular teachers. Uh, they, were, they were carrying like a popular movement. Their teachings would become the basis of rabbinic Judaism later on after the destruction of the temple. But in these days, it would be the temple priests and scribes and elders who are the actual leaders of the Jewish people in the land of Israel. And of course, they control the whole temple, the whole temple system. And so, as he's talking about the people caring for the vineyard, they would know very quickly that they were taught that he was talking about the temple leadership. And by re- so by referring to tenant farmers, these would be hired hands, not the owners of the vineyard. It would be the hired hands, and so he's insinuating that these temple leaders are acting like hired hands and that's already a criticism verse two when the season came uh that's the harvest he sent a servant to the tents to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard again it's a very typical scene verse three and they took him so the the wealthy landowner the owners of the vineyard do what they would normally send a servant, and and it could be servant or slave. This is not a negative term in any way. Uh, the servants or slaves of the landowner would be regarded, very highly regarded, and they should be highly respected because they're representing the owner of the vineyard. Verse 3, and they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Like, ooh, this is not supposed to happen. Verse 4, again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. The crowd should be cringing while he's saying this. And he sent another, and him they killed, and so with many others. Some they beat, and some they killed. So this likely was not common. The common thing would be the servants would come to get the produce, and the tenant farmers would hand that over. That's the way it's supposed to work, but not in this story. And so we see as the landowner would be sending his servants to get the projects, things would get worse and worse and worse. Verse 6. And he still he and he sorry he had still one other, a beloved son. And so it the impression is there's no one else left to send because they the servants have all been mistreated. Who's he gonna send? he has his son a beloved son and and again these these people the the Jewish people of that day the ones who were coming to celebrate passover at the temple and the temple leadership they were very familiar with uh with hebrew scripture especially the five books of moses um and so by saying a beloved son they would automatically take that to be an allusion that like that is like a a hint back to an earlier story where abraham is is called to offer up his beloved son uh, to god and so as he's associating this story with a core story in the history in the hearts and the minds of the jewish people of that day and of course he's also offering up that the that there's another one to send, and we're gonna be seeing how the, um, that they're supposed to understand that this is a story about God sending prophets to warn the people, and it's particularly the leaders of the people of Israel to turn back to him, that there's, and and what he's doing is he's saying that the, um, what's gone wrong with God's vineyard is due to the irresponsibility and the wickedness actually of the leadership and he's really focusing here on the leadership and so they've abused uh the prophets that god has sent over time to warn them and now he has one more something up his sleeve one last thing to do and it's the sending of his beloved son now the temple leadership wouldn't catch necessarily that he's speaking about himself his followers might and certainly the hearers of the gospel especially the believers who are hearing the retelling of this gospel would catch that right away that he's referring to himself Uh, second half of verse six finally he sent him the beloved son to them saying they will respect my son and this is of course they will This is the way it's supposed to work. They should have respected the servants, but no. So he's like sending the big guns now. Everybody knows the son should be respected, but that's not how it turns out. Verse seven, but those tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. Now it seems some scholars uh, think that maybe it could have worked this way, that if they could have somehow, uh, if by killing the sun that maybe they could grab the ownership of the of the vineyard for themselves but but likely not actually the whole thing is fairly ludicrous and yet human beings could be pretty ludicrous We come up with schemes and things that we do where we think we can get away with stuff, but the reality is we never get away with stuff. In the short term, it could look that way, but in the long term, we never do. We look at the world the way it is, and the way way things are going, oh no, things are so bad. Wickedness will not win. The meek will inherit the earth. Those who trust in God will inherit the good things of God. Sometimes that happens in in the, in the nearer term most often it has to wait uh, until god sets things right when the lord returns but he's coming he's coming soon and he and he will set things to rights that's why we need to be part of his company part of his team part of his family to be part of god's great restoration Uh, but god will have his way god will have his way verse 8 but anyway they're not thinking in the long term, are they? They're thinking in the short term, as we we often do. Not they, we. Verse eight, and they took him and killed him and threw him out of the out of the vineyard. And this way of speaking, it's utter rejection. It's complete disrespect for the their boss, the owner of the, of the vineyard. And uh, so, not only do they kill him, but this idea of throwing him out of the vineyard—absolute, total rejection. Verse nine. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Of course, that's exactly what he would do. And yet, the temple leadership is not thinking in these terms. And how many people are understanding that? We'll get into that more as we go along. So notice he's he's implying pretty strongly how foolish these leaders are being, thinking that they can get away with how they've been operating the the temple thinking that they can get away with with this but they should have known better and so jesus quotes the scripture he says verse 10 have you not read this scripture the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone this was the lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes this is from psalm 118 it's the same psalm that was being referred to when the crowds were welcoming jesus into the city with shouts of hosanna hoshiana and they were saying blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord it's all from psalm 118 this is psalm psalm 118 they should have understood this this idea that um the most important stone which is what the word rosh pina in psalm 118 translate cornerstones a head of the stone headstone scholars uh, talk about is it the is it a foundation stone is it a capstone that's not the point the point is it's the most important stone of the building it's the honored stone and in the psalm written a thousand years before um, it was already prophesied that the builders would disregard the most important stone. But when and that's how God works. God always works that way. He takes that which human beings disregard and he uses it for his great purposes. And this culminates in the coming of God's Son, the Messiah, Jesus. And notice uh, in this in Psalm 18, it's marvelous in our eyes that. The grand theme of the book, the remarkable gospel, this word used over and over again, how people marvel at what God is doing. And, and in our normal lives, we're not focused on what's marvelous. In our normal lives, we're looking at just the, the way things normally are, the status quo, this, this just the same, the routines, and we're not with eyes open looking at the unusual things that God wants to do and the unusual things that he wants to say. We we are we tend to be more comfortable with just the way things are and, and day in, day out routine. Like I eat Cheerios six days a week. And Saturday mornings I eat something different. And I eat the same thing every Saturday. Now sometimes I have a special breakfast, but I'm I don't know how come I don't get bored of Cheerios six days a week. Like, what's wrong? My wife also makes this wonderful fruit bowl, and like 99% of the time I have this fruit bowl, 99.99%. It's wonderful, and, and, you know, there's porridge I get bored of. I did porridge for a while, oatmeal, and yet Cheerios is made of oats, and I don't get tired of it. Maybe you're not like that. Maybe you have to have a different breakfast every day of the week, but I know other people. Same thing every day, and, 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 even some of our lives that get exciting, we love routine. There's something about routine. And the same old, same old. It makes us feel good inside to have routine. But God wants to come and break our routines. And, and especially when our routines are not healthy. I think my Cheerios with almond milk um, is fine for my health, I hope. But there are things in our lives that are not healthy for us. There are things in our lives that are not good for us. And God wants to turn those things over. And um, and instead of rejecting the unusual things that God wants to do, we need to catch like what the psalm says and what and many people do, and, and especially there's like this positive sense of, of remarkable, and, and some people are, are astounded, not so positive. We need to be open to the unusual things that God wants to do. And especially in this day, with this whole COVID-19, we cannot be business as usual and expect that we're going to see the marvelous things that God wants to do. And so are we going to be open to what God wants to do in our days? This is one of the things I want to explore in our upcoming Bible study. I want to do same old, same old. We want to seek God, hear what He's saying, and obey Him in our day. And I have more than a feeling that it's going to be unusual, and we need to be ready to allow ourselves to walk in the unusual things of God. Verse 12, and they were seeking to arrest him, that is the the temple leadership, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. Ah, they were paying attention, so they left him and went away. They're still being very political, like we saw last time where they can't really do what they wanna do because they're scared of how the people are gonna react. But here was a, a story and they were, as I said, paying attention. They knew that it was targeted at them. And what was targeted at them is a warning to all leaders. See, when God created the universe originally and put human beings on this planet, on planet Earth, our job was to be stewards of this planet. He he made human beings to be caretakers of what he owned. It's as if the whole earth is God's vineyard, and all human beings were called to be His tenant farmers. But not to act as hired hands, but to um, take the right kind of ownership to be God's stewards of the planet. In every way in how we relate to the the ground and the what the ground produces and how we take care of one another how we take care of our children how we take care of our family how we t- how we relate to friends to to employers employees uh, students teachers and on and on the various roles that we have we are always to have the attitude of stewards under god's authority and yet somehow the temple leadership thought of themselves as the owners of the temple, and that they were the ones in control, and they had lost the fear of God under which they were to operate, and they ended up therefore being in this political trap where they played this political game all the time and trying to keep control of what they thought was under their control, rather than listening to God and serving Him and doing His will, His will no matter what, and that's a message for all people, not just for people in that kind of leadership. And we're going to see as we go on how to relate to government, how to relate to money, how to relate to these things as we continue to learn uh, the how Jesus is flipping over. Uh, are normal ways of doing things. And so what it all comes down to is that we are called to obey God and not people. We need to understand the upside down nature, which is actually, as I said before, the right side up nature of how life is to be lived. He is that cornerstone rejected by people, but honored by God. And that's a principle we see in Scripture. Joseph rejected by his brothers, but then put into position of of leadership by God. Moses was rejected by his own people who who didn't want him to to be the leader that God called him to be. He got himself into trouble until God put him into that that place of leadership to be the channel through which to rescue the people from the oppression of slavery in Egypt. And then King David uh, was the... King, specially chosen by God, and yet, and yet, um, the the fleshly, soulful, earthly in natured King Saul went after him and wanted to kill him, even though David was God's specially anointed one, and and David had to live a life of rejection until it was time to be put in place by God, and so often we think, you know, if we're doing God's will, everything's going to work out well. Well actually you often need to go down before you go up and so Jesus had to pay that price and if we are going to serve God uh, we need to not um, utilize the 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 fleshly tools of earth that take control that's overly political that looks after ourselves that that uh, tries to keep ourselves safe and and this sort of thing but rather we need to be willing to um go into the, the the difficult places and the dark places and the painful places and allow ourselves to be rejected in the service of God so that we could be the people that God wants us to be, to lead God's people well, to lead people well in a very, very confusing and dark time that we're in, in the history of the world. Well, that's it for now. As I've said before, Um, please uh, email me at pastor at uh, allsaintslutheran.ca. I forgot to pray. Let me pray, and then I'll sign off. So Lord, we do ask you that you would help us to be the people that you want us to be. Help us to be willing to be rejected in our service of you, in staying true to who you are, that we would be honored by you as we follow the rejected but honored one, your Son. Lord, help us not to uh, simply be comfortable with the status quo, with the same old, same old, with our own routines, but help us to be open to you, to whatever you're saying, that we could live well and lead well and and be a good example in this difficult, dark, and confusing time. Help us, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Until next time, God bless you, your families, and uh, see you whenever I could see you. Bye.